0: How we doing? This is Rob Foster with RBF Fitness and Nutrition. People upgrade their iPhones, they upgrade their Androids, they upgrade their laptops, but yeah. they're operating with the same brain that they operated with for the last decade you should know the value that you bring to the marketplace you know what your passion is you know why you do what you do so racism it's out there but it doesn't have to stop you just because somebody might look at you a certain way that doesn't have to stop your forward progress where you have to eliminate the excuses you're going to make that game plan say for me to get to that point Right. Happy Wednesday, everyone. This is your host, Robert B. Foster with episode number 70 of Shut Up and Grind. And like I always do, I forget to pull pull the live feed up before I start. So let me do that right quick so I can keep up with the questions as they come in. There we go. One day I'll get the hang of it and I'll do it beforehand. But for now, you guys have something to talk about. All right. So we're going to talk about the grind gear before we dive in. You know, we got the hoodies, we got the long sleeve, we got the short sleeve, we have tank tops, we have face masks, we have all that good stuff, and that just helps the show grow. Trust me, I'm not trying to get rich off of t-shirt sales, it's just to support the show so we can get a wider reach. Two more countries have been added to my, uh, my audience, Albania and Germany. So we're up to 16 different countries now where people tune into this show. It's absolutely amazing. So for those of you who have fear of public speaking, I have a group on here on Facebook. Actually, I know it's on YouTube too, but it's on Facebook. Speak about yourself out loud. That's where I help you take the stories that are hiding within you and turn them into powerful things that you can use for a whole variety of things. If you just want to become a better communicator, a better connector, doesn't matter what it is you want to, what you, why you want to get better at speaking, I can help you get better at speaking. And you can get that here at robertsbeefoster.com slash thank-you-page. It's completely free. This brings you right to the download page too. So no upsells, downsells, no, uh, no blindsiding stuff there. I couldn't think of a better adjective. So we went with blindsided stuff. All right, so you guys know we keep this show motivational, we keep it educational, entertaining, and transformational. And so today we're sticking with the mental health theme because, as we all know, this pandemic has been wreaking havoc on people. And, you know, myself inclu- included, I had to do some pivoting in there, and, you know, that's how this podcast was born because the pandemic shut my gym down. And so rather than wallowing in misery, I decided to uh, motivate the masses and help keep, help keep people focused on the things that really matter, but how, that's what people ask me, Rob, how are you always in a good mood? How, how are you always stay focused? Like, how do you keep with your fitness, you know, while other pe- people are gaining the quarantine 10, 15, and 20, and it has nothing to do with, oh, well, he owns a gym because I'm human. I'm just as human as the rest of you. I have emotions just like the rest of you, and it takes management to get it done. So, To help me out with the conversation, I found another woman who had, I'm sorry, she herself has gone through personal struggles, so she knows firsthand what it feels like, to struggle with a mental illness, after experiencing her own depression due to challenging life events of her own. She recently concluded her 19-year pharmaceutical career, and she has emerged with a strong desire to positively impact the mental health landscape. So she's a passionate mental health advocate, a TED speaker, and a published author of a memoir entitled Breaking Into My Life. After years of playing a role of child caregiver, Michelle embarked on her own healing journey of self-discovery. And like we're going to focus on that part there, healing journey of self-discovery. But her memoir offers a rare glimpse into a young girl's experience living with and loving her bipolar mother. So welcome, Michelle Dickinson, to the show. Thank you for having me, Robert. I'm glad to be here. My pleasure. So that was the longest intro I've ever read, because <laughs> you, usually I take the ones that people give me, and I rewrite it into <laughs> my, and I, I call I it, I robicize it, but you know, everything that you had to say, like it's, it was all serious, so I figured mm-hmm. I would just read it the way it was given. So good, yeah. good stuff, good stuff. So where, whereabouts are you from? I am
1: in Central New Jersey. Yeah,
0: Central New Jersey, Jersey yeah. gal, love Jersey. it. Yeah, love it. keep it, keep it northeast, baby. Keep it northeast. <laughs> All right. So, question I ask every guest first: Who is Michelle? <sighs>
1: Wow. Well, you did a good job of introducing me, so I can just sort Thank of you. build on that. Um, I am a passionate mental health change maker. I believe that I'm a catalyst for change. And and I am that way because of the experiences that I had in my life, um, growing up with a mother who had bipolar disorder, um, dealing with my own depression due to a divorce. And then working in, in the pharma industry, I had the opportunity to build an employee resource group for mental health. Okay. And, you know, I guess like for me it was all about what do I now do with all this knowledge? How do I turn my mess into my message? And that's how I've become a mental health advocate.
0: Nice. And how did we how did we get connected? I, I forgot to ask you this while we were in the green room.
1: I don't know. I want to say maybe podcastguest.com. Oh on- okay. Yep. That's yep,
0: that's what it was. That's yep. what it was. Okay. Good stuff. All right. Mm-hmm. So what did you want want to be when you grew up?
1: You know, that's an interesting question. Um, Probably a teacher, probably somebody who was doing work with children, actually. But um, I'm sorry, you're going to hear noise because I have a puppy. And and the puppy has (laughs) decided it's time to play with the toy. I'm sorry. Gotcha. Um, So, uh, so yeah, so probably a teacher, I would say, Um, doing some work with kids. I don't have any children of my own, but I've always gravitated to wanting to help kids and youth. Yeah. um and teach and be a teacher in general teacher to adults and to kids so probably a teaching profession um yeah okay
0: are you originally from new jersey
1: i am you know and after my divorce i moved back to my hometown so okay. i am living in my hometown where i grew up
0: so oh, that's yeah that's awesome yeah Perfect. and what so what was it like grow, growing up you said <laughs> your mom your mom had bipolar disorder
1: yeah, my mom um, had bipolar disorder for my for my entire life. Like I have my earliest memories of her probably four or five when she started to act differently. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know bipolar disorder, it typically has the, the rapid cycling of mania and depression. And she I used to say it was like being on a roller coaster. You just had to sort of hang on for the ride. You never knew, um, you know, what version you were going to get, how she was going to h- interact with you. Uh, So it was hard, you know, but it was my normal. So, you know, um, I did what I needed to do. I learned to be very resourceful and resilient. So, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. Sorry, I'm just jotting down stuff that I want to expand on later. All right. So what what was it like in, in school for you?
1: Yeah, in school for me, it was about keeping the secret, keeping the family secret. You know, mental illness has a stigma nowadays, but it also had an even more, uh, you know, a bigger stigma back then. And so I kept it a secret. And, you know, I was always worried about my mom because I played the role of a child caregiver, always looking after her, making sure she was okay. Um, there were times in my childhood when she was too fragile to be left alone, but not sick enough to be hospitalized. So my father would say, stay home with her, be with her. And I would do that. But then when I would go back to school, I'd find myself very preoccupied and very much worrying about her.
0: Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And then how, how did that, how did that weigh on you during that time?
1: It was a lot. It was a lot. I mean, I think that when you think about what children need, children truly do need um, stability and consistency. And I didn't have either of those, so I had to find ways to find that consistency, get the love and the attention from whether it be an aunt or a grandmother or um, a mother of, of a girlfriend. I would. I, I was very resourceful in getting support, the support that I needed. Um, yeah. You know you don't realize it until you look back and you go wow like you really did find the nourishment that you needed even though your mother couldn't give it to you
0: yeah see and that's why i i asked these these questions because the more guests that i have on this show and just going into people's backstories versus what they're doing now usually what they're doing now is something that they kind of wanted to do back then <laughs> you know yeah. so like like you're yeah. saying you wanted to to be a teacher work with kids, work with youth, and that's what you're doing now, (laughs) you know, so.
1: You know, and there's an even cooler um, parallel to the fact that when I went on a youth retreat, I found myself giving a talk to like 150 kids about being nice to one another because you never know what they're dealing with at home. And that was sort of like my first stage. And fast forward, and I'm giving a TED Talk telling people, you know, it's okay to be who you are. You know, you are perfect just the way you are. And my mother as ill as she was, she was perfect just the way she was. So that when I when I drew that parallel actually a couple of weeks ago, I was amazed at how I think the seed was planted when I spoke in front of that youth group to eventually in my 40s do my TED Talk. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah.
0: It, it's amazing what how it all sticks with you because when I'm working with people and I'm helping them you know, sort through their, their past. Cause say someone's like, you know, I want to start a, a women's empowerment group. All right. What do you want to talk about? Well, I, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? It's like, what, like, why do you want to talk about you, know, you just start talking it out. And again, I have my note, I'm writing stuff down. I'm like, boom, the answer is right there. It's like, it's right on the tip of your tongue. And I keep t- like, that's why it says up above us, your true power lies in your story. Like most people's path to whatever it is they're heading to the answer is already there, you know, they just, they just have to recognize that it's there.
1: Yeah. And, and be courageous enough to, to talk about their story. You know, there's, there can be a lot of vulnerability and embarrassment, you know, so it takes something, but honestly, when you do, it's liberating because other people come to you and say, Oh my gosh, I am not alone. Someone else feels like me, you know? So it's, it's powerful.
0: Yes, yeah, ab- absolutely. And people I saw something earlier in one of my emails from uh, Russell Brunson from Clickfunnels, Click where he and his wife, they were struggling you know to, to get pregnant. They, they wanted to have a child, and they were struggling with it. and then someone else had shared a story of what they went through, and it helped them. you know, and as you know, mm-hmm. Russell's yeah. filthy rich. I know. <laughs> you know, you know, but it's like every, everybody struggles and you never know where that moment of clarity is going to come from, right? Like you just never know, you gotta be open-minded enough to be, I don't want to say to be looking for, but just to be aware when, when they're out there. And for me, I, I just try to tell people, you just come to grips with whatever it is you did or whatever it is you, you've experienced and then take those experiences to change someone else's life.
1: Right. Instead,
0: of, instead of letting it eat, eating you inside and harming your own life, you know, because you're harboring resentment or you're harboring anger or grief, you know, whatever the emotion is. But just once you come to grips with it and be like, you know what, this, like we said earlier, this made me who I am. Yeah. So let me take this step into the greatness, you know, unlock your true power. And then that's when everything for you is just going to change.
1: Yeah, it's true.
0: I agree with that. Yes. All right. (laughs) All right. So post post high school. Yeah. what, what, What were your next steps from there?
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I wanted to go away to college. You know, most kids, I think, you know, from my generation were, were like, which school are you going to go to? And I wanted to go away to college. And my, um, my mother was too ill. My father really wanted me to be at home. So I stayed at home. I got a job. Um, and I just started working. I didn't go, I didn't go away to college. I didn't get an education at that point and, um, cared for her. And then eventually I got myself a really, a really good job. Um, I worked at IBM. My very first career started, my, my first job in my career started at IBM, and eventually I landed in the pharmaceutical industry, and that's when I started to put myself into school. Uh, get, I got my associates, my bachelor's, and my master's degree while working full time because I was hungry for it and I wanted it, and and just the timing didn't work as as the way you know traditional education goes right after high school, and I'm grateful for it because um, it was a very different learning experience for me. Uh, and then also a personal victory to be able to accomplish that, you know?
0: Yes. And the key the key <laughs> sentence there, you were hungry for it and you wanted it.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, it, it's yeah. like, it sounds so simple, but even on the fitness end, people will come to me, but be, be like, Rob, like I, I keep, I keep on this roller coaster. I'm like, because you, you're not committed to the process. Yeah. Like if you, if you commit to the process, you will get results. Yeah. And it's the same thing in Everyday life. If 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 you have to work full time and go to school, you can figure it out. If you're mm-hmm. hungry for it and you want it, and you're living proof of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, oh my God, the sense of accomplishment. No one can take your education from you, as you know. No one can take your victories from you. So when you hustle and you make it happen, um, it's it's incredibly fulfilling. Like so fulfilling. You know, I mean. I think, you know, one of the things I'll never forget is a boss that I had who said to me, you know, you're never going to get anywhere. You don't have an education. And uh, and she was really like, she, was, she wasn't very nice. And I remember this and I was like, really? And like, it's funny because that ignited something in me to go, oh, really? You think that that's what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. <laughs> and then that motivated me to be like, you know what? Like, you are going to be okay. You are going to get that education, um, and then I went for it.
0: Yes, that that's amazing. And 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 I just want to clarify: there's many different ways to get educated because I don't have a college degree, yes. right? I don't have one, but I traveled the country, going to marketing seminars, going to fitness masterminds, yeah. going to, to branding branding masterminds, and now with uh, virtual, I've been. Taking ones on uh, media exposure, Facebook ads. It's like I got so much knowledge in here that I'm mentoring people with marketing degrees. Yeah, I'm marketing. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> you know, so great. you're so,
1: right. You're right. Yeah, and yeah. and I love I love the idea that we open our kids' minds to different ways of getting educated. Right. Yes. Like and because like you said, like look at your level of success, and you don't have traditional education. And honestly, I don't know that I'm using everything that I learned in college, to be honest with you. So I think it's all about our own unique vehicle to learn as long as we're learning and we're making progress.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So because there was one point where someone had asked me, you know, do you plan on going back and getting a degree? I said, for what? You know, it's like I'm not I'm not knocking education. I mean, I have my, old, my oldest son graduated college. My oldest daughter is in college currently. You know, so it's like, by all means, do it. But yeah. just just know if, if it's not for you, there's other ways to get to where where you want to get. Happy. And so for me, it wasn't sitting in the classroom again. It was like I need to go and learn from people who are crushing it. Cause I had people tell tell me what, what they said to you. Same exact thing. You know, like like because I dropped out three times. And so after the third time, you know, people would just just like you're, you're never gonna go anywhere. Like you're just gonna be a restaurant manager. I was like, That's that's crap. I was like, yeah. that's absolute crap. I if mean you for,
1: believed it, if you well, believed it, that would have been your demise.
0: Yeah, if well I was say for it, a minute. Yeah, yeah, for a minute there I for did.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: for a minute there yeah. there I did. Yep. And after a while, kind of like you were saying about yeah. giving giving the talk to the 150 students. Yeah. Same same thing with me. I was giving staff meetings and trainings and you know coaching pe- people along and keeping everyone motivated on, on on the line to work their best, to be their best, to work as a team. I, it's like I'm doing all, yeah. all this stuff already. You know, it's like mm-hmm. everything that I have is already here. I said, mm-hmm. I just need to learn how to market, how to brand myself. Mm-hmm. And and I went and got formal training in public speaking. You know, so it. so it's like just the things I was lacking, I went and found it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. That's great. Yes. Thank you. All right. So what what was your what was your, your job? You said you, you worked at IBM?
1: Yeah, so I started my career um, working as a technician in IBM. I was like one of the only female techs that was like repairing PCs as, as, a, as a young woman. It was crazy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, talk about a male-dominated environment. That was very much an interesting experience, but shaped me, shaped me to realize I could do anything, you know? Yeah. So I did that, and then uh, eventually I parlayed it into an, a secretary job at a pharma company, um, with no education, I was blown away. They gave me a shot. Right. So they give me a yeah. shot. I Hustle. I, I hustle. I grind, whatever. <laughs> and, I'm, and I show up. Right. And like then I get promoted and I start moving around. And then eventually I spent 19 years in pharma. So I, I was in an admin for many years and then proved myself, got my education, was able to move up and uh, eventually left the industry as a director. And I was really proud of that because awesome. coming from a, a, a girl who could hardly type, pulling herself up by her bootstraps to leave the industry at that level, I was very, very much grateful uh, for all of the opportunity and proud that I was able to accomplish that.
0: It's an amazing journey. Well done. Thank you. All right. So, so back to IBM. So, being mm-hmm. being the only female tech surrounded by men. Yes. Were, were you treated? Were you treated di- differently?
1: Um. You know, uh, I will be totally honest with you. I was treated very well because my okay, father good. worked there.
0: Ah. Okay. All so, right. <laughs> so
1: it's, very, it's like you know, nepotism at its best. But honestly, like I was met with such uh, support. Uh, The men that that surrounded me were like teachers to me. They wanted to see me succeed. So it was a very different environment. When I say it was hard as a female, I'm talking about going and and going to see customers to fix their computers when they're expecting uh, okay. gotcha. when they're expecting a man and in, in a tool case to walk in, not a, a young girl in a skirt and a tool case. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> so that, those
1: were my obstacles. I it, it, from the you know from the as an employee perspective, I was very much supported, but definitely a different world trying to trying to show up at that point, and fix a PC for an executive who's like, "Is this girl really going to fix my computer?"
0: It's funny. <laughs> yeah. Like when I, when I had, uh, I think this is at my old house, I was having Verizon cable installed and same thing. I opened the door. Cause I mean, th- there's even a movie called the cable guy. You know, know. That's, that's just a stereotype. It's you know? a guy, so I opened the door and there was a female. I was like, Oh, like, Hello. <laughs> you know, you know, and I'm, per- I'm pretty sure she picked up on that. Like I wasn't expecting a female. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So, oh, yeah. so I, I know, I know that stereotype def- definitely exists. Yep. So, all right. Oh, so God. now, so when did you, when did you make this, <clears throat> this shift to want to become an entrepreneur?
1: Oh my goodness. So, uh, so therein lies, some serious mess turning into a message, right? So I was going through a divorce and I, um, and I was married for 16 years. I was diagnosed with depression. I was struggling to keep my my life together. It was not easy. Um, and I remember um, eventually it was a it was a Monday in May. I went to court on a Monday in May to finalize my divorce. And two days later, I was told by my company that my position was
0: eliminated. Oh my god!
1: So in in one week, I I lost a marriage and lost a job. And it was at that point, it's like what do you do? You know, that's pretty much the lowest you can be, right? Like, yes. so I was like, okay, so what am I going to do? Am I going to get right back into another pharma company and become another cog in the wheel and, and you know, retire into the sunset, you know, wearing the golden handcuffs? Or am I going to take this passion that's been ignited within me from my TED Talk, from writing my memoir? Because you got to remember, like I, I was nominated to give a TED Talk. You, you don't yeah. know this. I was nominated to give the TED Talk about my mother. And when I gave the TED Talk about my mother, that catapulted me into wanting to write my memoir. I wrote my memoir, that had me get really connected to the power of story and the power of storytelling to make a difference. So I was public speaking and really, really taking on advocacy for mental health. And I got deeply connected to it. And so it was like, you know, they say that there are two most important days of your life the day you're born, the day you figure out why. And at that point, (laughs) I was like, "I think I figured out at forty some odd years old, like, what is my purpose? This is my purpose." So, I wound up um, saying to myself, "That's it. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take a leap of faith. I'm gonna create my own company." And I did, and I did that right before the pandemic. So, that's a whole other chapter. (laughs) Yeah. All
0: right. So, so once you realize that your marriage is going to be ending. Yeah. What what was that like for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it was safe, it was secure, it was certain, and I was slowly dying inside. Okay, you know, um, and so, and I had done a lot of self discovery work. I'd done landmark education. I'd done Tony Robbins. I I did date with Destiny with Tony Robbins. Um, and I was really getting confronted to truly what made me happy because. As a young girl caring for a mother with bipolar disorder, your own voice becomes very muted because all you care about is keeping peace around you, keeping your mother happy. So your own needs become, you learn to suppress your own needs. You learn to suppress your voice. And that was my pattern in life. So I did the same thing in my Is Even though I wasn't happy, I didn't speak up. I didn't ask for what I wanted. I didn't, I didn't um, express myself. So to do that took tremendous courage to do that. It was, it was amazing. Um, and it it was incredibly hard, but when I did it, it was like, I was finally standing up and speaking up and taking hold of what I, what I wanted for my life. Um, so it was terrifying and exhilarating at the same time, you know, because it was comfortable and familiar and I don't like change. I'm a person that doesn't like change, but I know change is necessary. If I want to, If I want to make progress. So, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question, but uh, that was it.
0: I just said to one of my clients just yesterday if you want change, you have to change. Like, it's just how it is. Like, you're not going to, you know, going back to fitness, like, you're not going to lose 15 pounds doing what you did to gain the 15 pounds. Like, it's it's not going to work that way. So, people say that all the time. They're like, oh, well, I hate change. Like, then you're going to stay the same.
1: Yeah. It's the definition of insanity, right? The yes. definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting yes. a different result. Exactly,
0: exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so one thing you just said there was that you that you didn't express yourself. And I think that's what leads to now, everybody knows I'm no doctor, but that's what leads to a lot of stress and anxiety mm-hmm. and, and depression is that people have these feelings and there's no outlet. Yeah. So they so they keep them in. And you know, like most people don't want to see a therapist because they don't want people thinking that they're crazy. Right. <laughs> you know, and and that's not that's not it. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things where you have to find your outlet. You know, you're gonna yes. find who you resonate with. So when when you were going through your your depression, like what was your outlet?
1: <clears throat> you know, it's very interesting that you asked that question. And because my mother because mental illness was a common conversation in my house and therapy was a common conversation because she was always in therapy i knew i needed to reach out and get support there was no way i was going to try to shoulder this by myself but that's because of my own relationship and my upbringing a lot of people don't have any exposure so it's harder because you know whether they lived in in a family where it was stigmatized or not talked about I mean, for me, it was a natural thing to find a therapist, get into therapy. And I'm so grateful I did because, because he's amazing. I'm still seeing him to this day. Um, just to help me sort through all the emotions, all the things I was dealing with, because, you know, life events are going to happen, you know, and, and we need to deal with them powerfully, just like if we had a physical ailment. Why are we not, you know, we're, we're quick to go to the doctor if we think we have a cold or We've hurt our a limb, you know, I mean, like we're, we're quick to do that, but why do we not do that for the brain? It, it is, it is very unfortunate. So the one thing I will tell you is my doctor is a very conservative doctor and he could prescribe medication. And I think I actually asked him for it. I said, listen, this, this is, this sucks. Do meds. And I worked in pharma company. So I was like, Hey, just stick, give me some medicine, you know? And he was like, you know what, Michelle? No. He's like, you need to navigate, you need to navigate and process what's going on. I don't want to numb you out. I want you to yes. navigate it and learn from it. So you know what I did, you'll appreciate this and being from the industry that you're in is my cousin challenged me to train for a triathlon. Okay. And so I threw myself into the training of this triathlon because if my personal life was was in the shitter and mm-hmm. my career was in the shitter, the one thing that wasn't was going to be my health and my physical yes. well-being and I knew if I could just take care of that it might just give me momentum in other areas of my life. And that's what I did. So I trained, I ate well, I was looking good. I was feeling good. I crushed the race. That was a huge shot in the arm of like, holy crap, you just did a triathlon. Wow. And, and that was really what helped me navigate my depression and ultimately get me out of that funk.
0: So. Yeah, because that was gonna be my next question is how did that training for that, how did you grow from from, from that process? Because I'm sure that I was brutal. Do,
1: at, yeah, but it made me realize I can do anything. If I can do if I can do this crazy thing that a percentage of the population in the world does, and I can do it and cross the finish line, I can do anything. And that's what it, that's exactly what it told me and and what I got from that.
0: And at any point in that race, did you ever seriously consider quitting?
1: No. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to crawl across the finish line if I have to. No. See? No. See?
0: And I asked that because I train people for ob- obstacle races, so Spartan mm-hmm. races, Tough Mudders. Uh, and, you know, once, once we start, everyone's like, come hella high water. Rob, I rolled my ankle. but well, I'm good, though. I'm good. And they keep going. They keep going. And then I, I say – Yeah. But why can't you wake up 30 minutes earlier? (laughs) Yeah. Like you just went through eight hours of hell with a rolled ankle, soaking wet, hungry, probably dehydrated, but you were like, I am crossing that finish line. Like, so why are you giving up on your life's goals?
1: So true. Oh, that's you speak the truth. It's the discipline, right? Like we have to we have to have that discipline. And how did that person even get to the get to the starting line? Yeah, you know, exactly. that's training, That that's what discipline, you're, you're absolutely right, and yeah, there was no, there was no thought in my mind, I was not finishing that race.
0: Yep, exactly, it's like, I wanted to, I wanted to highlight that, because I see it mm-hmm. all the time, every single race, you see people limping, you see people yeah. using sticks for canes, <laughs> you know, like they heard something, yeah. like, I saw a guy, And my first Spartan Beast was in 2013 in Killington, Vermont, Mm -hmm. which is a very, very steep mountain. Mm -hmm. And that that race is brutal. And I remember at one point I sat down, I had a a turkey and ham sandwich in my backpack. I'm sitting down, I'm eating. Now, before that point, I saw a guy crawling. As I walked by, I pat him on on his back and I was like, great job, keep moving, you got this. And then about maybe a hundred yards up was when I sat down and I started eating and so a few minutes goes by. Then I see the guy crawling again. I realize he's got one leg. I'm like, I'm sitting over here whining that my legs are throbbing and everything. And this dude's got one leg. He's crawling yeah. and he's still moving. I'm going to make it. yeah. <laughs> you That's know, amazing. so uh, I wrapped up the sandwich, put it back in my backpack. Yeah. And I'm like, let's get it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Human spirit, right? The human spirit is amazing.
0: Yes. It really it's, 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 it's the strongest thing. It's the strongest thing out there. Yeah. Like, like, I tell people all the time, if you tell yourself that you can't do something, you are absolutely right. You know, and, and I have truly believe that has to do with our healing process as well. Because I've had seven surgeries, and the only one that I had dealt was my first one, because it was the first one. Yeah, it was the first one. So And the first one was bad, too. I, I had total total knee reconstruction from, from an injury during a track meet. And I remember the doctor was t- – was telling me, don't put any pressure on it at all. So I was babying the hell out of it. And so I did exactly, exactly what he said. I go for my first checkup. He's he's like, you can start to put pressure on it now. And so like, like, okay, I'm treading lightly, treading lightly. I said, okay. I put down one crutch, started going, and then I put down the other crutch. I was like, I probably could have walked days ago, <laughs> <laughs> you know? I'm like, cause I let, I let him mm-hmm. put limits on me, I know. you know? So for every other surgery, I, I took control of my own rehab, yeah. you know? It's yeah. like, I, I took their advice, Yeah. You know? But course. yeah. So I had like. shoulder surgery that mm-hmm. like, you know, don't move it at all for six weeks. I'm like, I work with the body. I know that's not a good plan. Not good. Said, so. <laughs> So I found my threshold. I'm like, how far can I move it before the pain kicks in? And then I just stayed below the threshold. And then just each each day, each week, it got better and better. Wow. So again, I go for my first checkup, and she's moving gently. And I'm like, keep going. I'm like, keep going, sister. I'm like, keep going. And I got all the way back. She's like, that is unreal. I said, because I don't listen to you people. <laughs> I so my body. Yeah. I'm not I'm not telling people to not listen to your doctor. We gotta put, <laughs> put that disclaimer out there. Yeah. But but I'm just saying that's just me. And mm-hmm. when that first knee injury happened, the, the ER doctor actually told me I would never run or jump again. And oh. and and I told him, I'm like, Your degree is in medicine and I respect that. I was like, but you can't tell me what I can come back from. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like your your PhD does not Mm -hmm. cover my my human will to get through this
1: and you're the expert in being you
0: yes exactly so I attacked it like they said I was going to be in rehab for 18 months I got out out four months
1: oh
0: my god that's amazing amazing that happened in 2009 I started competing in track again in 2016 so like it 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 did take some some mental some mental wrangling to actually Yeah, yeah compete again but um Wow. In the in the high jump in the event where it happened, I, I've been undefeated since 2016. Wow. Yeah. So, so had I listened to him that that day, my yep. wings my wings would have been clipped right there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, good for you. Good for you. Thank you.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right. So back to you. All right. So so now you made that that shift. Uh-huh. You, know, you had that passion for. For helping with people. So, step me through the process of getting it started.
1: Well, it was a very interesting process. You know, um, I have had never been an entrepreneur before. So, you know, uh, coming out of the corporate world, it, it's like an entirely different animal to become oh, yeah. an entrepreneur because in the corporate setting, it's pretty structured, pretty regimented. So, I had to figure it out. And I remember um, just coming from a place of, if I could remove suffering and create more compassion and empathy in the workplace, then I can shift entire groups of people and entire cultures instead of one person at a time. So I was deeply connected to that from the get-go. I thought, I want to leave a mark on this world. I want there to be more understanding for people with mental illness and visible disabilities. So I knew I wanted to do that, but I didn't really know the how. And then. Well, I sort of, and I knew I wanted to work with leaders to sort of share with them what worked when I was in my Fortune 50 company when we were creating the employee resource group for mental illness. So my vision was I want to sit down and work with HR professionals and say, these are some of the things you can start weaving into your environment for people so they're less um, anxious about being themselves and building trust with their leader and owning what they're dealing with without fear or embarrassment. But then... The pandemic happened. And so as any good entrepreneur knows, you listen to the needs of your customer. You listen to what they want. You might think you know best, but you need to understand what your customer really needs. And at that point, what was really needed was resilience. Because people were working from home. They were all of a sudden wearing the hat of a mother, um, caring for a child who's being homeschooled, who's also the professional who has to get their job done, who's also the spouse all of a sudden they have all these pressures and all these responsibilities and, um, and then they're anxious about financial challenges, whether it be with their partner or, you know, even when their own job. So that was when my resilience program was built. A client said to me, Michelle, I'm really worried about my people. What do you have for resiliency? So leaning into my own personal experience and all the training I'd ever done with a therapist, with Tony Robbins, with landmark education, I just came from a place of, if I can empower people on the day to day to adopt practices and things they can do to stay in the cockpit of their life, what would I put in there? And that's what I did. I put everything in there and that's what I've been delivering since the pandemic. And I've reached thousands of employees and helped them um, just really stay engaged and stay present with, um, within their, their life, not just at work because we know that you can't just be, you know, how you do life is how you do work and, and how you do your, your personal life. So it's really about being collectively empowered. How do we navigate this pandemic? And so that's that's what I've been been doing, so yeah.
0: Nice, all right, so how, how do you reach these people?
1: So I largely work with HR departments that want to bring programs to their people. So um, organizations that wanna do more for their people. I mean, it's it's really quite um, startling when you look at the, the data from the CDC. It says one in three people are dealing with depression or anxiety because of the pandemic. It also says that we're headed into a mental health crisis after this is behind us. Yeah. Um, so people need to be mindful of what they're, what they're dealing with. And employee burnout working from home is on the rise because we're not taking vacations. We're not taking time off. We're grinding. We keep going and keep going and we don't stop. Yep. So burnout is a real factor. So, um, so yeah, so my clients I work with are largely HR professionals or, um, leaders that want to keep their employees healthy and happy and, and productive.
0: Nice. And, uh, how, how do you reach these businesses that are looking for it? Looking for yourself? Yeah.
1: So, you know, um, I have, I have, uh, you know, I have a lot of different people in my network. I spent 19 years in big pharma, um, and people are your greatest asset so i reach out to the people that i know people that i connect with i also uh, just launched my own um, my own other website which is careforyourpeople.com that takes you through why you need to care for people because they are your greatest asset and they they're on the brink of burnout and burnout is going to cost your bottom line if you don't do something about it so um, you could check that out and you could complete an assessment and I can reach out to you, but the other thing we're doing is we're really getting the pulse of people. So when I go into an organization, I'm doing an anonymous survey because people aren't talking about how they're really doing. They're telling their boss they're okay, but then they're navigating it on their own, you know, outside and pretending, you know, everything's okay when they show up on their Zoom call when yeah. they're really not. So I'm getting that data and really sharing it back to the leaders to say, your people really are not doing that well. And now what are you going to do now that you know, what can we do? And so we take that data and then we, we look at what are the areas they need? What are the greatest areas of opportunity? And we focus on that through um, a webinar that I deliver remotely.
0: Okay. Good stuff. Good stuff. And so what are your future plans?
1: Change the world. Nice. No, I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, I believe that we we all should be working in an environment that is compassionate. And there's there are people surrounding you that understand the importance of self-compassion and empathy. You know, self-compassion has to be the first step before you can extend it, compassion to other people. So it's rooted in self-awareness. It's rooted in um, having empathy for yourself and empathy for others. Um, that's super important. So I really want to create cultures Um, Where people can be their authentic selves every day and not be afraid to be who they are and and get to be a full contribution to their organization.
0: All right. Expand on empathy for themselves, please.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny because I had the worst boss. And I think it's until you have those experiences that you really understand and appreciate things. So I'll never forget this. I was diagnosed with depression and I'm leading an ERG, an employee resource group for mental health. And I remember telling my boss, I'm like, I have got to go first. I have to be the one that says, hey, listen, got depression. So I remember telling her that I was diagnosed with depression and I was just doing the best I could. And there would be times when I'd have to go to doctor appointments, et cetera. And then I remember in my performance review that year, she said, you just didn't bring your bubbly, upbeat self to work every day. Mm -hmm. So she was judging me on my bubbliness and my upbeatness. And she knew that I had told her that I was navigating depression. And that had me realize this is a woman that probably doesn't have any compassion for herself. If she cannot see what it is like for someone else, it's because she probably doesn't give herself love, doesn't give herself compassion, or or has a skewed relationship to mental illness. You know, maybe it's because, you know, her relationship is either non-existent or is, you know, taught to her through the media or taught to her through her own childhood. Um, so I said, God, what's really missing? In that moment, I got very frustrated and mad, but I also got very, lit inside there was a fire lit inside of me that said imagine if leaders could really understand what it means to lead with empathy you know heart centered leadership where you get that your employee is a person is a human being before they are an employee number
0: yes
1: so i think i think we need to go back and really remind people the importance of self awareness self compassion because if they can have self awareness and self compassion they can extend that to the people that they're they're leading
0: yeah, and a, a big part of that, too, is understanding that people are different. And that's def- definitely a growth, a growth curve I had to take in, like, my early 20s. I was a little uh, rambunctious, we'll say. <laughs> you know, so it's like I was good at what I did. I made sure I told everybody I was good at w- what I did. And I just expected everyone else to have my my standard, everyone to have my tolerance. And I, that's just what would I expected, because that's what I know. Yeah. And it wasn't until 2007 i was one of 20, 25 out of 2500 employees to get selected to go through a course in true true colors which is now disc and so yes. i became yep so i became a, a certified f- a facilitator in in true colors
1: mm-hmm. and then
0: just learning the different personality types and i was like it, it's like i you always know people are different yes. but i didn't didn't know that detail. And then once I started applying those principles, I'm like, holy crap, this stuff is spot on. Like it really is. So, you know, there's the leaders, the supporters, the thinkers and the feelers. Yeah. And, you know, so for someone like me, who's pretty over the top-ish, you know, Mm -hmm. with my, with my personality and for someone who's more of a feeler, i uh, was like, that's why I keep making people cry. <laughs> you know? It's like, that's why. Like, I can't come at them like that. And like, that's yeah. why this person asked me 10,000 questions before they do the job, because they're a thinker, yeah. you know? And then leaders want to know the whole process, yes. you know? And the supporters are like, what needs to be done? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. so what, and I think once people understand that, it's like, mm-hmm. just because, you're a leader and you need the process that doesn't mean that the feeler does yeah you know so it's like like you just can't push your personality on everyone else and then that leads to effective connection
1: yes and then I remember from disc you you learned how to engage they gave you tips on how to engage with people that were not like you so you can bridge that you know bridge that gap
0: that's amazing
1: that's awesome
0: Yes, one of my personal training clients he's he's a thinker, so, like I know when I'm telling him stuff, just I got to be prepared for, yes. oh, well, why Why do I have to do, my hands have to be like, what does that do? What does yeah. this work? Like, how does that benefit me? Like, yeah. that's that person. You're like, you okay, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. then- But it's which, not
1: personal. Like, that's yeah. the beauty of, of this. It's like, it's not personal. The person's not being annoying. That's just their style. That's them, exactly. And then you remove all of that stuff, that noise that you make up about it. And it's like, no, that's just who they are, right? Yes. Like, nothing bad- or good or anything about it it is what it is
0: exactly exactly That's it's awesome. like that person like like th- this person thrives under this condition yeah and, and and so like as the leader you have to provide that condition instead of the other way around right you know cuz in and in, in those situations it's really good like you you mentioned with empathy mm-hmm. and you know i've been told that i kind of lack that and i really think people might be right you know depending on the circumstance. So like in the, in the gym, I'm like, when, when you're here, I, I expect a hundred percent. Yes. Just what is just what, what you have a goal? You're paying me. Mm-hmm. I don't care what's going on in, in your life. When you are here, I expect your best. Yep. Then afterwards I'll put my arm around you. All right. What's going on with you? Yeah. You know, afterwards, mm-hmm. then we can have that connection. But well, when it's time to jam, damn it. It's time to jam. <laughs> awesome.
1: That's so awesome. <laughs> I love it.
0: <laughs> All right, so your website is up, up here. What will uh, the audience find if they go uh, research you?
1: Yeah, so um, if you go to michelleedickinson.com, you'll find out about me. You'll also find out about Protecting Our Happy, which is my resilience program, um, and it tells you exactly what's in that resilience program, how I do it, why it matters, um, if you go to um, careforyourpeople.com, you'll learn about why we need to be doing more for people right now, especially in the, in the face of the pandemic and with all the depression and anxiety. That's super important. You'll learn about me in terms of my background and my, my bio and sort of the, the speaking I've done, the... Um, you know the Forbes that I was in, and all the all the work that I've done in terms of like my book because I wrote my memoir. So I've done a lot a lot of public speaking about um, you know mental health in terms of the role of the caregiver. Right, the role of the caregiver is very important. We lose ourselves in caring for those we love, and
0: so um, you'll learn about that. Yeah. Okay. Love it, and I love the title of your book, "Breaking Into My Life." Yes. All right didn't so you? so what led you to write that?
1: Yeah um you know I didn't expect to write a book. I mean in my mind I thought maybe one day I'll write a book but it was really the 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 catalyst for that was the TED talk right so in 13 minutes I present the story of my childhood to a, an audience of my peers uh it, it was very awkward and very vulnerable. But the reaction was incredible, right Like storytelling has a way of people being able to see little threads of themselves and other people's story and feel yeah. connected to. And people just started to come up to me afterward and be like, oh my gosh, like I could relate to that. My mom, I bet you she was like di- she was bipolar but never diagnosed or I live with bipolar disorder. Um, thank you for helping me understand how I show up and to the ones I love. So all of that just like, gave me this, this like momentum to want to write my memoir. So I sat down and for four years, I wrote my memoir. And it was definitely something um, that was painful, because I had to live through a lot of um, the experiences. Because in order for me to have a successful memoir, I wanted people to really get mental illness. I wanted to humanize the experience. So I really needed to take them with me on a journey from my childhood to my adolescent years to to my adult years and really get them to understand what it's like. So it meant I had to relive stuff over and over. Um, But I'm really proud of it because when people do read the book, they say, wow, I read it in one sitting or two sittings and wow, I felt like I was in the room with you. So I put a lot of energy into really wanting to paint a picture of what that experience was like in order to get people to
0: understand mental health. See, and one thing you said there is what I try to stress every sing- single show, because you, you know, the premise of the show is overcoming obstacles. And yeah. one of the, one of the biggest obstacles is self-doubt, right? yeah. self-doubt. So yeah. when, when you were up there giving your Ted talk and people coming up to you afterwards, that, that right there is the moment that you should be focused on. Yeah. Not, not the moment or, you know, if people might, might talk trash about you or not, not support you or whatever it is. Like so many times people, people step back out of fear
1: Yeah. Of
0: fear, and they're holding back, but not realizing that your story has the power to change lives. Yeah. It's like So if you speak to a room of 5,000 people, and only 10 of you come up afterwards those are 10 lives that you could potentially Life. change yes <laughs> you know like yes. don't don't worry about the 4990 that didn't get your message worry about the 10 that got it
1: yes amen absolutely we forget these are precious human beings these are precious lives and if you can reach one with your story it's it's incredible um i think the thing that really that really got me was like and that i want people to know so if you have a story of course you have a story no not if you have a story you've lived through something when the going gets tough understand the why in telling the story like get really connected to why you want to tell that story because stuff's going to show up the naysayers are going to show up and when you get really grounded in the why that will pull you forward in the mud you know and so that's so important and i did that it so many times throughout my life where i was like well what's the bigger why michelle because it's not comfortable right now and you're hearing a lot of stuff that doesn't support you but what's your why because that's what you're doing it for
0: absolutely absolutely and as i said earlier too like i i know i leave a lot of money on the table with my style like if i just maybe toned it down a little i could i could grow grow faster like with my fitness coaching style but I was like, but that's no, like I wasn't, I was an elite athlete, you know? So like to, to become even just a good athlete requires effort. You know I mean? I was, I was an injury away from being an Olympian. So wow. that, so that takes, that takes a lot of debt, a lot of dedication. So yeah. like my, my mind, even now at 46, my mind is always all in, it's just yeah. all in. So when people come in, I, I, I give them the expectation. Like, this is the expectation. Like, if you can't live up to this, then this isn't the place for you,
1: right. you
0: know, because like, I'm not going to be any less than who I am. So the people that come to me mm-hmm. and my, in the average gym, the turnover is like six to 12 months. Mm-hmm. I, I have, I say, I think, I think that I have over 50% of my people have been, been with me over three years,
1: Awesome. you know, cause it's like wow. that
0: that style resonates with them you know it's like they Mm -hmm. they found that they need my style yeah rather than just having you know a thousand people and just me being a shell of myself trying to appeal to everyone yes yeah I was like you know what I just have to to be me and then the people who resonate with me will come to me
1: yes amen amen and and you're not you're not meant to touch every single human being's life. You're meant to touch the life of the person that you're supposed to. Yes. Right. So when we, when we start to become a chameleon and we lose sight of who we are, and we are out of integrity with who we are. Then we, then we lose. So yes. I love that. I love that. Stay true to yourself. Absolutely. Hands down.
0: Yep. All right. So from your book, what's, what's the biggest take? What's the biggest takeaway?
1: From the book, you mean like from um, the reaction to the book or from writing the book?
0: No, so like if, if I was to read the book, like oh. what do you feel feel like the biggest takeaway is?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny because uh, it's a heavy book. I'm not gonna say it's not. Mental illness is not, you know, it's, it's not on the surface. It's pretty deep and pretty revealing, yeah. so it's heavy. Um, the biggest takeaway is, um, my triumph over the past, my, my story of perseverance and how at the end of the book, because of all of the work that I've done on myself, I'm able to have an epilogue that recounts how everything that my mother did to me now to this day serves me. So, you know, with your mess, make your message, understand that life is always happening for us. And I, I said this to you before we went on the air, a gentleman I just interviewed the other, the other day said that adversity is the price um, we pay for what we have lived through.
0: Yeah. Yeah. absolutely.
1: So, so it served me in the end, in the end the, those experiences have all served me. And, and my goal is to now serve others.
0: Yeah. Like, and it gives you thicker skin. Like yeah. that, that's the thing. and, you know one of my business coaches says that all the time too uh your message your message and uh just like I said said to you before before we went live like people people want to hear hear the struggle yeah. you know what I mean they want to hear the struggle like they don't want they don't want to see the the hero win in the first 10 minutes of the movie right. you know it's like they want to see the hero get his ass kicked and then prevail at the end yeah <laughs> you know so that's that, that, Dead.
1: No, I was just going to say, but you know, the reality is if you went to my Instagram page right now, you'd see these pretty little pictures of me in quotes, and you would have no clue about the struggle. So yeah. it's very easy. Like, I, I just want to invite people to consider there's always a backstory. People always have stuff. What what yeah. social media shows us on the surface is not reality. Yeah. So, you know, stop comparing yourself and start to realize, you know, there's more underneath that, you know, so... But you're right. Like, if someone did go to Instagram, they would see pictures. They would see motivational quotes. They'd say, "Oh, she's got such a perfect life." Like, no. Like, just like the the flower in 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 the mud. Like, it takes something to emerge from that muck. You know, yep. it doesn't just happen overnight. It, it's a lot.
0: I think one of the most amazing phenomenons ever is when there's like like a crack in the sidewalk or like a crack in the patio, and then that blade of grass comes up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how, how long was that grass sitting there, lying, just lying in wait, waiting for something to hit it? Then one little crack and poof, there it is. <laughs> you know? Like, like and, and I tell people, I'm like, and, and that's you. I said, that's oh. you. You have a seed inside of you yeah. and yeah. just waiting for you to give it some light. Yeah. You know, you give it some light and then it can come to the surface. Yes. You know, and it's one of those things. Going back to upbringing, like my dad was always raising the bar on us, always Mm -hmm. raising the bar. And I'm the youngest of seven, so I had a chip on my shoulder as i was, you know. Like, and we were all athletes, so it's like I'm watching my oldest siblings crushing it, and here I am. I was short and scrawny, like I didn't, I didn't hit my growth spurt until junior year in high school. So I was just always so and so's little brother, drove me insane, but. Dad dad was just always, you know, all right, you you did this, but you could have did did that. All right, you did that, great, but you could have did this. You know, so just like even in track, you know, hey, hey, Dad, you know, uh, I got seventh in the meet. Seventh. And he's like, don't top six get medals? Like, yeah, well, you got to work harder. All right. (laughs) Hey, Dad, I I placed. Did you get get top three? No. Dad, I got top three. Why didn't you win? Hey, "Hey, Dad, I won. What's the school record? (laughs) Right? It was all... It's just always one of, one, of, one, of, one, of, one of. Wow. like like when you got a good job out of him and then my clients who are watching it's gonna be like, oh, that's why. That's why. Like, I was just I'm gonna like, say <laughs> that's like when you get a good job out of him, you know mm-hmm. I was like, I, I just made that man proud. And yeah. it is it's the same with my clients. There was this woman and uh it's like we're we're close now. She's been with me for six years, but in the first probably six months, I tried to get rid of her. I really wow. did. I I tried to treat her so bad, and it's like we we joke about it now, you know. But I, I really I tried to run her out of there. I was mean to her. I was just like yeah. I was just like she does not belong here. <laughs> <laughs> but she showed up. She paid every month. Like sure. there was really not nothing, nothing I could do. But it, it just it, it came. It just came to a point where it's like you know what? I have to understand her.
1: Yeah. And
0: you know? like that's the thing. Like I have to understand her. Yeah. And so like I had to become. Different, you know, with my approach to her. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like I'm sitting there putting it all on her, all on her. It's like, well, she's still here. She's still showing up here. Mm -hmm. So she's finding value in being here. Mm -hmm. So I gotta see how I can better serve her and drop my ego. Because like she at the time didn't fit the mold that I wanted. See that? You know? Yeah, exactly. So it's like I have to make that switch.
1: Yeah.
0: I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, and but I, want make, I want
1: to. I want to shake your father's hand. Your father shaped you into this uh, incredible trainer. That's awesome.
0: Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and uh, I forgot the point of what I just what I just shared. So with with her, this was probably maybe a year and a half in now, and we were doing a challenge. She was pretty consistent with the challenge. You know, she dropped some pounds, and I, I went up to her and I said, "I'm proud of you," and she cried. Aww, <laughs> she cries. Aww. She's, like, she's like, you don't ever say that. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I tell my clients, I'm like, you know, we we celebrate everything. Yeah. You know, like every every little win we celebrate, but yeah. you don't you don't get high five till you have earned it.
1: Right.
0: You know, because people end up settling too soon right. when you when you praise too much too soon. You know, so it's like, all right, good job, but there's still work to do. You know, like good right. job, but there's still work to do. But then once once we start reaching the bigger milestones, that's when the high five, and then the double high five, and then the hug comes out. You know, like it's yeah, you, know, you gotta earn it. Like it's not given. It. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. It's so true. Awesome. Yeah, this was such a really good conversation. Thank you for joining.
1: Of course, you're welcome. You're welcome. I loved yeah. getting to chat with you. I think you're awesome for the work you're doing. Um, you know, if if I was to say one thing, one last thing for people, please remember that one in three of us are dealing with depression or anxiety because of the pandemic. And it takes such a little bit of effort to just check in on those that you love and just say, hey, I'm here. I'm, I'm thinking about you. Are you doing OK? Do you need an ear? Uh, plant those seeds, even if they don't want to talk, because, um, you know, loneliness and isolation is very
0: real. And so yes. is mental illness. Yep. And, and if I can just add one more on top of that, is mm-hmm. to speak to them where they are. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that's something I had to learn growing up because I was speaking to people wh- where I was and then like oh, yeah. something's wrong with them. And then now now that I'm older and wiser and looking back, it's like, wow, like I, I could have caused someone suicide, you know, with, with that. With yeah. that way of thinking, so mm-hmm. now you got to step back and you know listen to them where they are.
1: Yeah, create the space. Them
0: from where they are. Yeah. Yes,
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: Awesome. awesome. Well, you well you stole my moment because I usually say give us a final word, but you already <laughs> you already did.
1: <laughs> it was an important word. I didn't want to forget to yeah. say it. It's, it's so important. We we get so busy. So yeah, um, we do. Um, thank you for asking.
0: <laughs> no problem. So again, thank you for joining. Um, don't sign out. I'll bring you right back.
1: Perfect. All right?
0: All thank right, have you. a good day. All right. So that was Michelle dropping some knowledge. Again, if you're tuning in late, go back watch the whole thing. Because as we know, mental illness is a big deal. And as we had covered earlier in the episode, it doesn't make you crazy to go and get help. It makes you crazy to not get help. Okay, if you're struggling inside, there are places that you can turn to that are positive outlets, people who genuinely care and people who want to help and work with you. And for the business owners out there, you know, Michelle's got got a program where she helps train up your your staff. So if you feel that she could be a benefit, look her up, michelleedickinson.com. Never hurts to have a conversation. All right, so This is episode 70, 70, aye, aye, aye. So I'll be back with 71 on Friday, 11 a.m. And as you guys know, if you're going through struggles in life, remember, you can't change the grade of the mountain, but you can change your ability to climb it. All right. Signing off with that. Have a great day. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind.